0: Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined today by Connor Bromley as we run the rule over what was another busy weekend of Premier League action. We're not actually going to start with the games, though, this morning. Uh, You may have seen across our social media platforms over the weekend that our chief football writer at the Daily Mirror, John Cross, had a brilliant sit down with Rodri. If you haven't checked it out yet, for sure, go across and you can find uh, plenty of of long-form clips to definitely fill any lunch breaks or any breaks you've got during the week um, where you can see John Cross talking with Rodri uh, over a range of subjects. Conor, it's saying that, of course, yourself and and myself, we've we've watched plenty of uh, this week as well. Couldn't get enough of, actually, if you ask me. Um, but what did you make of of the interview? You know, Rodri uh, came across as as you know a very intelligent individual, someone who's very in touch with his emotions as well, which maybe doesn't tally with you know not so much the hard man that he plays on the pitch, but definitely in the role that he plays. You know, tough tackling midfielder, and and obviously there's plenty more to his game, but. You know, for me, it kind of revealed a different side to Rodri that perhaps we haven't seen before. And I think it was a, a fascinating insight into kind of his, you know, who Roger is away from football, perhaps more than who Roger is in football.
1: Yeah, I always think these kind of interviews do that, don't they? You know, you, you see these footballers, you know, on the TV and they're, in a way, they're kind of like superheroes in a way. you think of them as being so much bigger and better more than just human beings because the as it always do is play football but i think it it did show you know that human side of roger really well i think one of the more interesting things that i took away from the interview was just something little but him talking about putting on weight to come to the premier league i thought was fascinating because you know he's coming from the top league you know, to come to the Premier League. And we do know that the Premier League is more physical than most leagues in Europe. But the fact that he's made that switch and he's went, right, I'm going to have to put on weight and it hasn't actually affected his game. It's arguably made him, you know, a better player. I just thought that was fascinating. And, you know, there were other things as well. He talked about tweaking his game where when he came over, he didn't necessarily see himself as that defensive midfield destroyer and he he sort of changed into that. And I think it was fascinating to kind of hear him talk about his evolution of a player from coming to the Premier League and how much he had to change himself to adapt to this league. Because I would say that most fans would look at a player like Rodri. I mean, obviously he's been here for five years. so he's been here for a long time, but you'd think a player like him kind of came as the finished, you know, the finished item. Um, especially because Man City was so dominant at the time where he came in, but actually when you think about Rodri and you actually think about what he is now compared to when he first came, he has actually changed a lot as a player. And I think you just, as a fan, you don't notice them changes with the players when you're watching them every week. But when you think about it, yeah, he has changed a lot. And I just thought it was really interesting hearing him talk about his development as a footballer when he joined Manchester City.
0: One of the things that John Cross asked him as well, and I suppose, again, it kind of, you know, it shows the, the measure of the man, of, of Rodri. He was asked about missing out on the Ballon d'Or last year could have you know very much could have been a contender in the top three could have been a contender for the overall award Uh, but he came fifth uh, overall in the rankings but you could see that for Rodri, it didn't you know these personal accolades don't matter isn't it you know the way that he kind of spoke about he was saying that the team and, and the trophies that that's what's important to me if I get personal accolades brilliant fantastic but first and foremost I want to get the trophies and that and that kind of shows the measure of the man as well, doesn't it? That it's not about him. The kind of and it, and it kind of shows how he is on the pitch as well. And I suppose even if you, you listen back to the interview and watch it back, you'll see that he's a very selfless individual. And that and that's really what kind of came across for me from it. And he is as a footballer though, isn't he? You know, anyone who plays the position that he plays, you
1: know, you have to be selfless on the field. He's so talented, but yet he sacrifices a lot as a player to help the team go forward. And, you know, I think that comes across when he's talking about things like the Ballon d'Or. I mean, the one thing I would say on the Ballon d'Or is it's an attack a tag as award, isn't it? You know, it's not an award that a player like Rodri would win. And that, that's stupid. It's dumb. I think Fabio Cannavaro, probably the last player that wasn't, well, maybe look at Modric actually, he won it as well, didn't he? But it, it's very rare that you see a player that isn't a, you know, a winger or a striker or a, a number 10 winning that award. Um, but yeah, I think it is interesting. I think it it shows as well so much kind of what Pep Guardiola must put into that team because I think you watch Manchester City and the players are selfless, you know, even players like Erland Haaland where it is kind of all about them. He isn't like Cristiano Ronaldo where Cristiano Ronaldo would sometimes sulk if the player scored but didn't pass it across goal to him. You know, Aaron Holland's all like that. He's very much for the team, and his role in the team is to score goals, you know, as we saw at the weekend. And Rodri's role in this team is to keep a ticket over to to put out fires all over the pitch, but also contribute. You know, we know that he, he scored huge goals for Manchester City, and, you know, he talked about scoring in the Champions League final. We know how, you know, important all them individual pieces in that Manchester City team are. And I think that came across in the interview that we see how selfless Rodri is, but I think as well, it actually presented how selfless that whole Manchester City team is.
0: And it's probably why they've been so successful since Pep Guardiola came in. Yeah, you mentioned about the Champions League, and again, that was quite fascinating, the depth that he went into about it, you know, saying that his initial thought first was to slash it in, but then he thought that it would be too easy, perhaps for the Inter Milan defenders to defend against it. So he kind of faked to shoot like he would be powering it up and, and then obviously curled it into the back of the net that way, kind of a more delicate finish and, and to kind of have that calmness of thought when all around you, perhaps everyone else is losing their heads because of course at that, at that point, City were expected to kind of walk that Champions League final and it hadn't gone their way in that game. So <laughs> to keep calm and all around you are losing their head, you know, again, fascinating to, to listen Rodri, uh, to listen to him say that. But you mentioned there a couple of times about Pep Guardiola, the team that he's created. And again, Rodri does go into depth on, Guardiola and what makes him great. He's he's worked with him five years. He's probably, you know, well placed to tell us exactly what makes Guardiola such a great manager and and what it is for Rodri is is this complete evolution. We've seen that with this Man City side, perhaps more so in this summer than, than any other time. You know, a lot of key players have left, you know, Kai Gundwan, uh, you know, the captain leaving. That's a that's a big one. And then Riyad Mahrez have been there for a long time, been a key part of their success as well over, over the last few years in particular. Those guys leaving, other guys coming in, you know, like to Jeremy Docker coming in. Um, you know, he was saying Vitekovic is a little bit older than the, uh, than the others that come in, but you know, others like Nunez as well, coming into the squad, you know, even the academy players. He was saying, that what makes Guardiola special and what makes the great manager special? Maybe we are seeing this with another team in the Premier League, although Jürgen Klopp is stepping down at the end of the season. Yeah, with Liverpool, we're seeing an evolution this year and I suppose that's, you know, that's the kind of key thing. Keep all your other rivals guessing and that's what Roger was alluding to. I mean, we saw it in the past with Alex Ferguson, what was he famed for? always rebuilding that Man United squad. We've it at Man City now, at Liverpool as well. But it was just fascinating uh, fascinating to hear Roger just kind of, you know, know exactly that that's exactly what Pep wants to do. Just keep building, that you never stop, you know, run a treble, great, but what's the next step now? Yeah, it's, it's almost like scientific,
1: isn't it? The way that Pep kind of builds them teams. And I think as well, the, the other difference is you look at Jurgen Klopsey or even Alex but we'll use Jurgen Klopse as the example, Man City have had to have, you know, a couple of down, sorry, Liverpool have had to have a couple of down periods, whereas Man City haven't, you know, Man City have constantly evolved that team all the time and they've kept winning. So even you think when they brought in Jack Grealish say his first season, not great. And we all kind of go 100 million pounds oh you know, that, that seems like a lot of money for our players are doing that much. Then the second season. You know, Jack Grealish is an important cog of the team. And I think we'll probably see that with Jeremy Doppel at Man City. You know, this season, I think he's shown signs. I think he definitely looks like a really good player. Always seeing the best of him, probably not. But it wouldn't surprise me if this time next season, he's Manchester City's most important player. And I think you see that evolution with Manchester City all the time. They the, the bring players in to not necessarily benefit them right now, but because the squad's so strong and because they've got such consistency with Pep in there, Consistency as well on the pitch with players like Rodri, you know, who John Stones, Edison, the players you can rely on and know that, you know, you've got that stable nucleus of the team. He can, Pep can make little changes that over a couple of years will make a massive difference. I mean, Riyad Mahrez, Raheem Sterling, massive players, but Pep knew when to move them on and replace them, you know, and... I think that's the genius of Pep Guardiola because other managers, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, for example, he did have a few years in the sort of mid-2000s where Jose Mourinho and Arsene Wenger were beating Manchester United to the, you know, the major honours. And Sir Alex did, obviously, you know, he evolved and United did become the, the top team in England again. But Pep, he's fought these battles with Jurgen Klopp I and mean, actually he's he's dominated them battles, you know, Jurgen Klopp's only won one Premier League, which is crazy considering how good Liverpool has been, but that's the genius of Pep Guardiola, the fact that Man City are always evolving, you know, the team's always evolving, but they're always winning, you know, the, the, the evolving does not come at the expense of winning football matches.
0: The final thing that I will say on Rodri is going to provide me with a brilliant segue into actually talking, uh, 10 minutes into the podcast, actually talking about Premier League action. I promised you we'd get there. We are getting there. But Rodri did fire an ominous warning to Man City's rivals. And again, it kind of goes back to there about rebuilding the side and kind of, you know, making sure that it's there for the next five, ten years. Saying that, that that's where Man City are now, that, you know, we've won the treble, but there's a lot of guys in this squad that haven't won the treble. So they kind of provide the hunger and also the youth as well to kind of keep it going forward, that there's surrounded by guys that have the experience of winning the treble, but they want to do it themselves. And that this Man City side isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And I think we saw that at the weekend, you know, we we are in a three horse title race now. Rodri himself, himself acknowledged it. Liverpool were in there with Man City along with Arsenal as well. That's the top three in the Premier League. All three of them won at the weekend. And I suppose between now and the end of the campaign, that's what the expectation has to be for all three of these sides. Of course, there are still matches to come between them. They are going to drop points. But these three sides probably know that they have to be very, very near perfect. I mean, Rodri himself said Aston were almost perfect last year. I suppose that's it now, is that chase of perfection, isn't it? For all three of these sides, they're going to have to be as close to perfect as they can be between now and the end of the season if they want to win the title. Yeah, and Rodri actually also picked out Aston Villa, um, which probably now... He can probably rule
1: them out of the title race after the weekend. But yeah, I think we were actually in for quite a, a fast day in the season, aren't we? I think Arsenal's results over Christmas were, were dodgy, to say the least. You know, they, they lost back-to-back games. I think a lot of people kind of thought that they were maybe out of it a little bit. You know, it was going to be really difficult for them. But they've shown over the last few weeks that they mean business, the win last weekend against Liverpool was massive. They all played really well that day. And obviously at the weekend, they were... You know, sensational I mean I think West Ham were really poor but I would say in David Moyes' defense you know, after the game he did say that Arsenal were you know fantastic and as much as West Ham maybe let themselves down I think Arsenal were so dominant that they would have won that game even if West Ham had played it you know 100% so I think it's very interesting that Arsenal have kind of quietly sort of snuck themselves back into this conversation and I think you would have to say that You know, they've got a a strong chance. I'm not saying they're the the most likely. I think that Man City would probably be the team people would look at and say, well, it's their title to lose. But I think Arsenal's got a chance and they can, you know, sort of sneak in if Liverpool and Man City have a bit of a hiccup. I do think Liverpool, you know, at the weekend, not necessarily the best against Burnley. Gave up a lot of chances, Um, obviously, reasonably comfortable in the end but there was points of that game Burnley missed a couple of chances at 2-1 obviously went 1-0 down and brought back to 1-1 as well I think Liverpool need to kind of almost not necessarily have a reset but they look of the three the one that is the most dodgy at the moment and I think that just stems from losing the game last weekend. end um, you know Man City he you look at them at the weekend, they don't play at their best. You know, I think it was a poor performance from them really for their standards, no shots on target in the first half. But then you've got a player like Erlen Haaland who can, you know, just completely change the game. You've got Kevin De Bruyne who you can bring on as well and completely change the game. And they're going to be the ones to beat. You know, I think realistically, you look at, I mean, how many games we've got left to play this season? We've got 14 games, Man City, you've got 15 games left. I think you're probably going to have to win if you're Arsenal, 12 of them 14 games to have a, a chance of winning the league. And that is, as Roderick said, you've got to be near perfect to win the Premier League. And I think all three of them teams know that they've got to win 12 or 13 of the last 14 to 15 games to win the league, which is absolutely crazy. You know, that that's the standard you've got to, hit in the Premier League. Because, you know, it wasn't long ago, sort of 10, 15 years ago, when you were in the title race, going away from home, it's a side's in the top six. You were happy with a draw, you know, and it kept you kept you ticking over in the title race. Whereas now you've got to win them games. You've got to win against every single team in the league, no matter what. The consistency is, is crazy. And I think we're in for a fascinating title race. And it'd be interesting to see which of them three teams is able to maintain that pace. You know, no Man City can do it. We've seen it all the time. You know, the the hallmark of Pep Guardiola, it's his teams at this stage of the season winning games, going on crazy runs where they can win literally 15 straight games to the end of the season. It's whether or not Liverpool also have that mentality to do that. And it's going to be really, really interesting
0: to see. On this title race, if you were to put money on it, where would you put your money right now? I think for me... The fact that we've seen this before with Manchester City, that they kind of just become this all-conquering beast in the second half of a campaign. We've seen it so often um, that they'll just eat up ground and eat up teams. And, and you know, you could be, as we saw with Arsenal, have a really healthy lead last year and they still kind of broke them down and, and came after them and, and won the title. Uh, the first part of that treble in the end was was winning the title they've got a game in hand that if they win at this stage currently of course it's it's next week but as things currently stand if they were to win that game in hand they would go top of the table so from from everything considered i i would be you know i think i'm, I'm guessing you're probably going to say the same as well that you'll be back in man city at this stage as well but if you were to to have a bit of money to put down who would you be backing in this title race i think man city you know if, if you were doing
1: percentages it's probably the best way of doing it i'd probably give man city 75% then maybe the other two, 12 and a half each year. I think it would be surprising if Man City didn't you know, come out with the title. I think as well, we just know their mentality into the second half of a season. We know that they're good at the business end of the season. And I think with Arsenal, my worry with them is mentality. You know, they've had this issue, you know, that when they were going for the top four in that you know, All or Nothing documentary, mentality was the problem. They went to that, I think it was Newcastle away and just couldn't cope. They played Tottenham away, couldn't cope, and ended up falling out of that. I know you're smiling there. I can see you know, gleaming. Um last season, though, it was exactly the same. They got on the business end of the season and they kept drawing games, drawn silly games. They went to West Ham. I remember drawn 2-2. There was a few of where they should have won and drew, I think Southampton at home, maybe Bournemouth at home. There were some games where they were they were pretty dodgy towards the end last season. So I, I don't trust that that team. Is mentally capable of if winning the twelve or thirteen games they need to win out of the last fourteen. So I think also the least likely of the three, Liverpool. My concerns with them just stem from the last few games. I think they've looked dodgy, you know. And I think Man City just have that consistency where even when they didn't play well at the weekend against Everton, and Everton maybe if they were playing Arsenal, Liverpool might have dug in it and got the point. You know, City's just got that X factor. They can bring on Kevin De Bruyne. They can, you know, give Erlen Haaland a ball to chase and he can just push over Brantway like he's not there and get a goal, you know, and, and they won that game 2-0 without playing particularly well. So I think you've got to say Man City, Yeah, you know, to their title to lose. And the fact as well that if they win the game in hand, they would go top of the league, you know, that it, it's it truly is in their hands. And I would be surprised if they weren't able to maintain you know, this sort of form that they're in at the minute, um, till the end of the season. So I think,
0: yeah, it'll be probably them with the title come the end of the season. Just on Man City, we are going to jump away from the Premier League briefly, but return to it before the end of the show. Uh, the Champions League returns this week. Uh, Manchester City away to uh, Copenhagen on Tuesday night. Uh, the expectation is Manchester City will progress from this tie. Um, you know, if you ran this in a simulation a hundred times. Man City would probably be going through 95, 96, 97 times, if not 98 or 99. Um, a difficult task for Copenhagen. But in the group stages, they finished ahead of Man United, City's cross-town rivals. They finished ahead of a, a good Galatasaray side as well. So it's not one that City will be taking lightly. They never will take any game in Europe lightly. But if you you know, you know, look at some of the other ties in this round, and you kind of think, it's a nicer one to have. I think Copenhagen would probably decide, I think we said previously on this show as well, that Copenhagen would probably decide that most teams were looking for in that draw. Man City got them uh, and they want to make the most of of the opportunity that's been handed to them to progress to the next round uh, of the competition as well. I think it'll probably benefit them in the the second leg, because if they go to Copenhagen and
1: get sort of a a two or three nil win, which they're more than capable of, and it started to be disrespectful at Copenhagen, because I also wouldn't be surprised if they were able to dig in and get a result, but, I think Man City will be looking to kill the tie off in the the first leg, you know, and then it means in the second leg when they're at home, they can maybe rotate and rest players. But I think they'll they'll go in that game they'll give it the full respect. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was maybe a draw. Um I think the difficult, you know, the last six years in the Champions League, there's no pushover and was so Copenhagen against Manchester United that the crowd played a really big part. You know, it's quite a, a compact venue to play football. So things can happen. Crazy things can happen in, in knockout football. Crazy things can happen um, in the Champions League. We've seen it a million times, you know, that mad results can happen. And that's why we love the competition so much. But yeah, you you would think of the draw that, you know, they could have drawn PSG, you know, they, they could have drawn Inter Milan. They could have drawn Napoli and they didn't, they drew... Copenhagen, so they would have been happy with that, you know. And I think they couldn't have asked for uh, a better tie. But that there'll be no disrespect on Man City, you know. They've they've been there, seen it, done it, and they know that they have to take this game very seriously. And I think they'll they'll field their strongest team at the week eh, in the weekend. You know, they'll probably get a, a good result. But yeah, I, I think they should go through.
0: Moving back to the Premier League there, where we're going to talk a little bit more about Arsenal's win over West Ham and, and more on the West Ham side of things. Um, David Moyes, you know, kind of, there has been much talk about his future. He's still yet to sign uh, a new contract uh, to extend past the end of the current campaign. Uh, you know, there were suggestions over the weekend that West Ham are eyeing Graham Potter, um, how much you believe those? I mean, Potter seems to be linked to any club that his manager is uh, out of contract in the summer. see also Crystal Palace. Um but just on noise, that 6-0 defeat, you know, even even if he had a long-term contract, isn't going to do his prospects any good at all. The fact that his contract is up for renewal at the end of the season, uh, is, is set to expire at the end of the season, that's not going to fill West Ham with any great confidence to give him a new long-term deal. I know previously, um, you know, last kind of couple of months or so, it had seemed that he was progressing towards a, a positive conclusion that West Ham would extend his deal, but... Seems like he's under mad pressure now, doesn't it? That, you know, even so much as getting a new contract seems kind of quite far away, perhaps, you know, where West Ham is sliding down the table at the FA Cup as well. Of course, they do still have the Europa League to play for, but it seems like he might even be lucky to last the season at this rate, and and this result has, has definitely piled a lot more pressure on him, hasn't it? Yeah, but it feels incredibly harsh from the outside looking in. I mean, look, I'm a
1: Southern fan. I am no lover of David Moyes. <laughs> you know, I'm not a David Moyes defender. However, he won them a European trophy last season, then lost their best player for £100 million. And they're eighth in the Premier League this season. They're going strong in the Europa League. Yes, a disappointing result against Arsenal, but that, it can happen. You know, you're playing one of the best teams in the world, one of the best teams in Europe. Yes, they lose 6-0. And that is, you know, the performance wasn't good enough. David Moyes said that. But for him to be under pressure just seems harsh. But to me... It feels like when David Moyes went back to West Ham, you know, the, they had him all them years ago and were like, we want something fancier, we want a new car, you know, we don't want this, this car, we want a different one, we want a faster car. They changed, it didn't work. They went back to him. And then since they went back to him, it's it's always felt like they were waiting for the, the next manager to bring in. And I don't think that West Ham as a football club, West Ham, the fans have ever fully <coughs> accepted David <coughs> Moyes. And I just find it very, very strange that he's under so much pressure. Is it the style of football? Is, is that all it, it boils down to? Because I think as well in my life, the most successful West Ham United managers have probably been Sam Allardyce, um, David Moyes. Savin Bilic, I think, played better football. But then before that, you know, they got relegated in 2003, trying to play the West Ham way, whatever that is. I, I just don't know if maybe they've got this idea of how they should be playing and actually they should just think, well, we're eighth in the Premier League, we're pushing, you know, if they'd won at the weekend, there would have been two points off sixth place. And I just think there's maybe a bit of a delusion there that they can be a top six Premier League team and play this swashbuckling style, which is going to capture the hearts and minds of football fans. I just don't think it's realistic. And I think David Moyes is being served a harsh hand because I think he's done a really, really good job at West Ham, um, I think if they hadn't won the Conference League last season, he probably would have been sacked because I had such a poor Premier League season last year. But the fact is, he's won them a European trophy. I mean, West Ham have won a European trophy. You know, how many teams in English football can say that in the last twenty years? I think not many. And I think there just needs to be a bit of perspective on myself. So I, I think it would be incredibly harsh if they got rid of him. I think he's. Got enough in the bank for me, and the fact they're eighth in the Premier League, they're in no danger of getting relegated. Which I still think needs to be West Ham's number one priority is make sure you've got enough to not be dragged into a fight as they were last season. I, I just don't understand, but maybe if they think Graham Potter is a better fit longer term, you know, if, if they think that he can get more out of this team, okay. <laughs> um, maybe it makes. It, I mean, if you're going to make the change at the end of the season, why not make it now when you've got 14 games left and you've got no danger of going down you know maybe that's the thought process but I think it'd be harsh to get rid of David Moyes I think it'd be harsh to not give him you know another year on his contract
0: one of Moyes' former clubs though Manchester United there will be a brief stint as, as Manchester United manager but they seem to be having some momentum uh, behind them now brother three wins in a row in the Premier League uh, climbing up five points now off the top four um, It. It's It's been a weird one. We always come around to Manchester United on this podcast, though, and we kind of, you know, Eric Ten has been under pressure himself. We've all been saying how bad a season it is. And it has been. Let's be honest, it has been. To go out of the Champions League in the group stages is, is not what Manchester United should be suffering. And to not even make the Europa League, yeah, that was poor. It hasn't been a great season. And yet, and yet they are still only five points off this top four. They're in this race. They are in this race. And the momentum is behind them now, Connor. Uh can they, will they finish in the top four or is it likely to be one of Aston Villa or Tottenham that will pip them to it?
1: I don't think Aston Villa,
0: you know, after watching
1: them yesterday and they created a lot of chances to be fair. And honor and the Man United goal was strong. You know, he had a really good game and you kind of saw um, the keeper that they thought they were signing. You know, some of the saves he pulled off in that game were outrageous. There was a the one he pulled off from John McGinn and the first half sort of a, a shot from outside the box. Oh, I been mean the yeah, it wasn't the first top. It was just excellent. And I, I thought, wow, you know, he, he is a top keeper, judging off that performance uh, yesterday. Tottenham are strong. And I think that they're the team to worry about. I know we've got potentially five places, but Man United and Newcastle getting knocked out of the Champions League potentially means we don't have five places. So I think you've still got to focus on that top four. I don't think Man United want to wish... European success on Liverpool and in Man City. So <laughs> they should try and aim for the top four if that's the case. But on the on the basis of the, the victories they've had three straight wins in the Premier League, you know, it'll be hard to count against Manchester United. They got in last season. And I think the performance they put in yesterday, you know, the grit and the determination they showed and seeing Rasmus Heyland scoring goals now. You know, it feels like he's really welcomed himself to the Premier League at this point. It took him while took him a while to fight his feet, but now he looks like a real Top striker, and if they can keep him fit and keep him firing, then they've got as good a good chance as any team. Because we all know that on paper this Manchester United team is strong, but now we're starting to actually see them show that. And you know, Villa is a difficult place to go. We've seen Man City and Arsenal drop points there this season, and know they're off the boil a bit. You know, they lost three one, I think, against Newcastle in the last week at home. So they're not the team maybe they were a couple of months ago. But the fact is, Man United had to go there and win. They, they had to win that game, and they did. And the substitutions from Eric Ten Hag were spot on. And it just feels like they've got a bit of a bit of their mojo back. It feels to me like Manchester United look like a team that knows what they need to do. And I was just impressed defensively; they were excellent yesterday. You know, Harry Maguire looked all the £80 million player, you know, that they paid for him. I thought Varane had a strong game. Diego Dallot was excellent. Um, I think he got the cross for the McTominay winner. And I was really just impressed with them across the field. Even Casemiro, the amount of times I saw him breaking up play, he looked back to his best. And I think it's exciting if you're a Manchester City fan, because even though they've had a, a really poor season, I mean, I'm looking here at the league table, they only scored 33 goals. They've got a zero goal difference. They've lost nine games but they can actually rescue something from this season, finishing the the top four and, you know, go for the FA Cup as well. I think fair play if they're able to do that because there's been a lot of noise. I think Eric Ten Hogg's been under an incredible amount of pressure this season. But if he can get them in the top four, I think it would be sort of job well done, you know, and and hopefully with the change in the the football and structure there and the, and the things that are changing off the pitch, hopefully Man United can start to, uh, it looked like the Manchester United of our childhood where they were,
0: you know, dominant because it's been a long time since we've seen a, a good Manchester United team. You said there about, you kind of think Villa might be dropping away from it now. I haven't seen what you saw on Sunday. So with Tottenham, can Man United make up that, that gap, that difference? You know, what is it? Six, five, six points, isn't it? Uh, between Tottenham and, and Man United in the table. And Spurs seem to be looking like they are coming back towards their strongest Team. James Madison's back from injury, Mickey Van de Ven's back from injury, Humeen uh, Song came back from the Asia Cup uh, and provided the assist for Brennan Johnson's winner. So you look at that Spurs squad and, you know, they're, they're close to full strength now, very, very close to full strength now. Can Man United make up that gap between now and the end of the campaign? I mean, of course they can. It's, you know, it's a small gap and a relatively large. Some size of matches still to come, but do they have it within them, you know, you know, Spurs as we said there we saw what they were like at the start of the season the first 10 games unbeaten and then it kind of all sadly unraveled a little bit with the injuries and everything else um, but if that was they, they'll have that team back now that, that started the season so well so it'll be a, a, a test for Man United to try and close this gap I think anyone
1: who watches the Premier League regularly would look at Spurs and I think Spurs probably are the fourth best team in the Premier League at the minute. They also don't play Manchester United from now at the end of the season. So there isn't like a six-pointer where you could make up ground. Um, The only thing with Spurs is, is just look at the fixed list. They've got a horrendous April where they play Newcastle away, Man City at home, although Man City do have a poor record at Spurs in the Premier League. They play Arsenal at home and Liverpool away. So them four games feel pretty season defined before playing Burnley and Sheffield United where you think they'd probably get six points um that'll be the difference it's whether or not Spurs can pick up points against the teams above them in the table you know when they come across it's probably it's what gonna get them into that position they've also got to go to Aston Villa as well you know that's that's gonna be a pretty big game because if you know Aston Villa are still in it even though I think that they'll probably drop out of it. They are still in this top four battle and if Villa were to win at home against Spurs, then that would probably right the wrongs of losing the game this past weekend. But I think, you know, what Ange has done at Tottenham and the way that Tottenham play, I think it would be, they probably are the ones that deserve to get in. You know, Man United, as we've said, have been so poor all season and Tottenham have been a bit of a breath of fresh air. I think they've been good to watch. Um, They're entertaining. I think Ange is a, you know, a really good manager to have in the Premier League. He's always, certainly for us, he's good for a quote. and um, He's always got them clippable moments. And I think that, you know, it's their place to lose at this point. And Man United will have to win two more games than Tottenham from now at the end of the season. You know, there's only 14 games left. It's not as easy as it sounds. You know, Tottenham probably win, you know, eight or nine of their final games. So Man United are going to win maybe 11. And Man United don't draw games either. They've only drawn two this season. So I think Tottenham have got a really, really good chance of getting in. And if if I was a, a betting man, or I was doing my percentages from earlier, I'd say Tottenham have probably got about a seventy-five percent chance of getting into the the top four. And I think Man United and Aston Villa maybe share the twenty-five percent. You know, I think it's it's Tottenham to lose,
0: and I think they've got more than enough about them to see this through to the end of the season putting yourself forward as a potential Rachel Riley replacement on Countdown this morning I see that kind of a few percentages making an appearance again Uh, but thank you for your time as always really do appreciate it Uh, of course again if you haven't watched the Rodri interview uh, John is sit down with the Manchester City midfielder uh, again it's across all our social media platforms so do go and check it out if you haven't seen it yet Uh, and of course you can keep up to date with all the latest on the Premier League and the Champions League and everything else across the Daily Mirror Daily Star and Daily Express website But for now, it's goodbye.